You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, Perth. Welcome to another episode of The Perth Property Show. My name's Trent Fleskins, your host as always. Today, we are stepping it up to a level we have not heard or spoken of before. We're not just talking subdivision or finance or planning or valuations, we are wrapping it all together in a, what is really the pinnacle for a lot of developers in Perth that most people never reach. We're talking about built form development, apartments, aged care facilities, those levels that we look up to as, as property people and wonder, wow, how'd they get that up? I wonder how much money they made and, and how long did it take? Well, today we're talking to one of Perth's top project managers, a boutique specialist in this space. His name's Luke Parker. Luke from OP Properties. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks, Trent. Uh, great to be here. Luke, you're going to help us out with a, what we're planning for is a five-part series. We're going to run through from, I guess, site due diligence, which we're talking about today, all the way through to design, sales, construction, handover, everything it takes. It's, it's such a complex space that we're not going to get it done in just 20 minutes today. It's going to be a five-part series. So, Thanks for committing your time to coming in over the next couple of months to help us out with this. But let's start with due diligence, site due diligence. It's something that we all do as buyers of property, even if it's just for our own property, right? But it's a little more complex when you're thinking about putting an apartment building on it, isn't it? Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, look, like any development or sector of the economy or profession, built form, there's unique complexities and yeah, there's a lot to it and it's great to have the opportunity of the five-part series to talk through with your listeners. Mate, when we're talking about apartment buildings, we can't just put them anywhere, can we? There's very basic planning parameters, just like if you're doing a triplex or a house behind a house, that someone like yourself or anyone who's looking to put an apartment development up or identify whether their their property is an apartment development site that they need to follow and they need to understand. Absolutely. So it's, it's not straightforward as well. Every local government has their own town planning scheme, as listeners would be aware, aware of. That really sets the parameters of a site's development potential, whether it's individual dwellings on basically R codes or whether it's multiple dwellings, um, R codes plot ratio. But then recently as well, Development WA or the Development WA guidelines have come into effect. And that's a a state government policy that affects all across the Perth metro area. And it's designed to be an overarching governing document as to how apartments are are to be developed. So there's no overarching framework. Is it a good thing? uh, Look, it is. I think there's been some really good examples of of well-designed and well-built apartment developments across Perth in the last, say, five or ten years. But equally, there's been some ones that Shockers. haven't been crack hot, yep. haven't been that fantastic. Infill and apartment develops or built form developments in general is really, is, is still quite contentious in Perth. We haven't got a lot of built form. You go to Sydney and Melbourne, there's, just a, there's a lot more multi-level buildings around. People are more understanding of them. Accepting think, of them. Accepting. It, it's probably what you'd call a more mature apartment market insofar as there's very clearly high-end apartments, medium and low-end. Not unusual to pay uh, the same amount for an apartment as you what you might do for a townhouse down the road, for example. Something that would seem like almost an odd suggestion in Perth. And so as Perth is growing, of course, 
infill has to happen when we when we look at sustainable developments and efficiency and government spending around you know schools and hospitals and infrastructure in the grounds. Infill is is really important from all those points of views, but also creating communities, being located near transport nodes, uh, metro nets, big focus there, and shops and the like. So it's good to have that overarching policy or or directive as to how this is supposed to happen. Absolutely. Is that the point of it? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah. so. On top of what we would understand from the subdivision point of view, where the you know maybe it's an R25, an R30, an R40 site, as a minimum, when we're looking doing our site due diligence, it's an R40 site, isn't it? And that would be the minimum for a small two-story maybe apartment development that you might see in Inaloo. Look, there's no one rule of thumb, but generally. Yes. So R40, R60, R60, you could say a 0.6 um, plot ratio. That's so, getting into a different level, right? We don't talk plot ratios when we're doing subdivision. Absolutely. So that's, that's a separate measurement. So subdivision would really about, be about what does your average lot size need to be? And therefore, how many lots can you put of on land. that site? Yeah. When we're looking at built form, it's not generally classed as how many dwellings it's often based and there's a few things but often it's down to plot ratio as a rule of measurement and it's a rule of density so if a site is a thousand square meters in area and it has a zone of r60 which which unless it's modified by the town planning scheme is say you got plot ratio of 0.6 then that means on a thousand square meter site you can have 0.6 or 600 square meters of plot ratio which is generally a livable area on that site Across a number of levels up to the maximum height yep. level based on that R code. Correct. So if you've got 600 square meters, you could do 10 60 square meter apartments or various combinations of larger apartments or smaller apartments. And your choice as to whether you put them all on one uh, level or yep. possibly two levels you might have to to get car parking in, obviously, or three if the zoning allows it. Absolutely. And as the zoning goes up, it could be six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twenty levels. Yep. Often R60 will be limited to three stories. Of course. It can be four, and then Design WA has additional uh, density and discretion that can be allowed for exemplary design and design that goes above and beyond for that particular site. To be frank, most people listening today are listening to this out of interest and thinking, wow, this is really cool. I like learning this. But realistically, let's put it on the table, Luke. You can't get a bank loan down the road with your local banker to get an apartment building up next week. Even if you own the land, most likely, there are a lot of complexities around that. Uh, but before that, when we, with regards to due diligence, Generally, these sites are, are priced at a level where the seller and the selling agent knows the profitability of the site to an extent and it will be so expensive that you really need to be building up to the maximum infill uh, opportunity of that built form, right? Yeah, look, absolutely. I mean, like any site, who's going to be the successful buyer? It's the one that can pay the most. And the person or the buyer that can pay the most is the one that, that works out what the a site's highest and best use is. And probably has the money or the means to yep. figure out how to get that built and financed. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So it's a pretty tough one when it comes to going down the street and the auction next week at your local uh, 160 site and hoping to compete. Absolutely. I think the initial funds is one thing, but you've got the additional element of funding of the construction which is, of course, substantially more than a typical subdivision. And a commercial loan, right? Uh, yeah, Where pre-sales yeah, yeah. are generally required. Yep, pre-sales, personal guarantees will often be required from the, the lenders. And they want to see track record. They want to see transaction history. And they want to be dealing with, I guess, developers or individuals 
that uh, either have engaged consultants around them, but more often than not have just had that experience where they've done it before because they are complex to deliver. And there's plenty of examples of where they've not gone to plan and money has been lost. And so the banks are, are, are look very carefully before issuing construction debt facilities to apartment developments. Very much so. It's a business decision. It's a discretionary business decision from the bank. How much experience do you have as a developer? Have you got apartments up before? Do you have a team around you? Even the most experienced subdivider or triplex developer would also still find a challenge getting finance in this day and age for a even a four-story apartment building. Absolutely. You, but what are you borrowing against from the bank's point of view? You're borrowing against the land, say the land's worth $2 million, then that's, you know, land facility, not, not super keen on, but that security's there. But they're funding a further $8 million or a further $6 million for the construction. Their comfort and security comes from knowing that this development, first of all, has pre-sales. Secondly, it's going to be constructed as it's meant to be and that you actually get to settlement. On time. On time. You're not going to breach your pre-sale conditions because until you get to settlement, everyone's exposed. Yeah. And, and that's, it's not until settlement where the actual money comes back in. And that's the big difference. It's the same it's, for a triplex development, but it's just that much more complex. And I think everything's yeah more expensive, there's more equity, there's more debt that comes into it. Now, let's pull it back again. You were on a really good track there with a plot ratio. Once we understand the plot ratio and we understand, look, we've got a thousand square meter site, it's a plot ratio of, let's say, 0.6, yep. where we can have 600 square meters of living space, right? Yep. How do we generally, as a rule of thumb, translate that into how many apartments we probably could yield out of that 600 square meters and still understand where we're going to put the cars so that's i guess that's a really important part of your site due diligence when you're looking at acquiring a site you may have found one go that looks really great understand your plan your town planning framework to say okay i've got 0.6 plot ratio or 600 square meters to work with it's then a question of how do you divide that up so that's really a market demand question and of the 600 what is going to be the most popular sized apartment? I mentioned before you could do 10, 60 square meters. Now, typically across Perth, that's not going to be a good idea. That's a small apartment. Because you're going to have 10 one-by-ones in the apartment building. One, there'll be something in the town plan that says you have a need to have a mix of uses. But secondly, your market's probably not going to want 10 of them. Um, and so, okay, of the 600, you know, how many 80 square meters could we do, for example? It's seven and a half. You can't have seven and a half apart. Can't have seven and a half. So you might do two or three one by ones. You might do one or two two by ones, a couple two beds, and then you might do a, a couple three bedders. Yep. If you're in a more premium area, we are seeing a higher demand for larger apartments, particularly across the western suburbs, um, because it's very much an owner occupier, uh, often downsize a market. And they can afford and so these They can afford it, and they're going to live there as opposed to an investor product. And so there is a strong desire to have a decent sized apartment. And if it's designed right, they're selling. It's probably not something that we can sketch up on the back of the envelope though. I would assume that regardless of your level of experience, you're probably needing to, at an early level, an early stage, engage a builder, an architect, a draftsman. Where are you going to? Yeah, so when we are engaged by clients or or when we're conducting site due diligence ourselves, we've got a pretty clear process we step through. Ultimately, you are feeding into a, a, a quite detailed project feasibility a spreadsheet that really you want to populate. So by the end of that, you know if you've got a profitable development or not. So what's the land cost, obviously? What's your development potential? Uh, often we'll get an architect on board to assist with some concept planning. Because you need to prove up, just because the numbers say you can put 
seven and a half apartments on there doesn't mean the dimensions of that site will possibly allow for it maybe there are street trees you can't get rid of and there has to be some level of complexity there as to how you put that together and therefore oh sorry with the amount of car bays you need you're not actually going to fit seven and a half you max out at maybe six that's absolutely right i mean often car bays will be the driver of how many apartments you want on that site if you want one car bay for every one better and two car bays for every two or three better well then it's a lot of square meterage it's a lot of square meterage you go in their basement there's a cost with that if it's only a small six or seven hundred square meter site well, a chunk of the basin is taken up by a ramp down. And then you think about, you know, what's the, what's the street water pressure? Do you need pumps and tanks, additional space requirement for that? And what are people prepared to pay? Do you try and get the basement at grade? Other site constraints you mentioned before, the town planning scheme will have mandatory setbacks on the boundary. And there'll be... Front ma- and side boundaries? Yep, yep. Primary street frontage, secondary and, and other sites. For more, I guess, areas that are have structure plans or what's called local development plans there might be restrictions around where your entry to site for vehicles can be located or might not be able to be located on the main street there'll be height restrictions which are of course very important to comply with for example design wa is big on open space and having sufficient deep planting zones so proper sized trees and that can grow in time can it be as easy as looking at the guy who did 10 apartments next door and just saying, well, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Reverse engineering what he sold those for on RP data, for example, and going to your local builder and getting a price. So if it's a recently completed development, then yeah, it can be a really good gauge on, on what the development potential is. Of course, you've got to be careful that um, the market hasn't changed and that you actually need a different type of mix of apartments. Well, especially uh, with Design WA's new guidelines coming in, there's a few more levels of quality that need to come in compared yep. to what was being built even six months ago. Absolutely. So that's where regulations can change over time. So, you know, north-facing windows, setbacks we've talked about, deep plant zones. Sprinklers. Um, National Construction Code is in the process of changing where three vertical, st- three storeys or above is, is required to be sprinkled. That's a big change. That will increase costs. Expensive, right? Uh, yeah, it will. So generally, yes, um, some of the recently completed development next door is a pretty good way to learn from someone else's experience and someone that spent a long time working through. But you certainly need to be careful that the world hasn't changed in, the, in that period of time so that you're not missing something. If we get really excited, we think that we've found a good one. We've done our numbers in as complex a way as we can. Should we go straight to site, put an offer on with 21 days finance or should we most likely be giving ourselves a few months for due diligence to triple check all the work with all the consultants we're going to have to pay for to tell us whether this is actually a good site or not? We do find, not often, but we do find a bit clients that have found a great site, they want to go buy it. When you sit down with them and say, look, I can do, I can do six townhouses or I can do 20 apartments let's do 20 apartments for someone that's not a developer or necessary recently completed construction projects by the time you step through it buying it's one thing call it two million be then either for the six or seven million to fund the construction now it's part equity which is, has to be your cash other part is, is bank funding so it's really important at the front end go and know your, your zoning your concept plans your market your construction costs but being realistic around the additional funds and risks that will be required to deliver it. Um, so due diligence, not only on the site, but your capacity to deliver the project. Your capacity financially, from a bank record point of view, and being realistic about your time. And are you comfortable putting up a personal guarantee, uh, even if the bank will give you the money, for, for millions and millions of dollars more than the site's worth? Last question on this for our site due diligence uh, first 
uh, episode here. If we're going to go buy a site with the plans to put an apartment building up at some point, should we buy it in our own name or in a company name? Typically, we'd see property syndicates bought through fixed unit trusts. The benefit there is that each of the unit holders are, of course, the percentage owners. Income is net income is distributed uh, pre-tax, and the recipient pays their tax. It's the same structure as, as a family trust. We are seeing more and more property developments run through just companies. Of course, the company will pay its company tax rate, but if it, the purpose is to develop and sell the apartments, and you know you're not going to have a long-term hold, then when you talk to your accountant around, I guess um, benefits around accessing capital gains tax exemption, that sort of thing, it might be less relevant. So look. Individually, I guess you need to be careful more from an asset protection point of view. But that decision really comes down to what your accountant's advice is around tax and your accountant and other advisors around um, asset protection, limiting that development's liability to an entity where possible, of course. So this is probably the level, and for me, the first level where asset protection and those levels of liability, even just being taken seriously by a bank, to be frank, where a company structure actually starts to become relevant and necessary for those who otherwise would have just done a triple X somewhere else on a different site. It's a much bigger undertaking and typically there'll be more than one investor on board or it's a company undertaking. And that's Um, where those structures help because it allows you to have shares or units and it can be split up in that legal way without it being a partnership. Yeah, absolutely. And you're not sort of having to work through you know, your personal affairs and personal transactions and all of it. I think the difference as well is it's not just a case of you buy a triplex site, you get percentage of bank debt lent against that site, plus you also put up security on your family home to give you the leveraging or the security or guarantor to get the triplex site. It, it, there's much more required than that. And so really, look, we pretty much always would see it arm's length from the individual, unless it's someone that holds a lot of property and they've done a fair bit before. Um, yeah, we typically expect to be through a, a unit trust or a newly created company. Luke Parker, thank you very much for coming in for this first chat. I think we covered a lot of information in 20 minutes. And whilst, again, it is an aspirational level for a lot of people to eventually get to that uh, stage of even considering apartments as their development strategy, I think it's going to be a lot of, of a lot of interest to a lot of people. And for the people out there who were possibly at that level and didn't even know it might be a little eye-opener as to what is possible and and the level of complexity involved. So thank you very much for coming in. We should have you in very soon to talk about that next step. And I think what we'll focus on next time is design and all the consultants you're going to need to actually get an apartment building ready for development application once you've got that site. Absolutely, Trent. Appreciate it. And yeah, really looking forward to the the next part series. Okay, Suburb Spotlight time now. We are talking about North Fremantle. It's been a while since we've been in this part of town, but I thought it would be interesting to have a chat. I always say smart money moves first and a lot of that smart money lives around there. So it's important to get an idea as an acid test where things are in the market from the epicenter. The one man I want to speak to with regards to North Fremantle is our number one agent for that suburb. It's Nathan Hewitt from Yard. Nathan, thank you very much for coming in. Thanks, Trent. No worries at all. Mate, we're talking about a niche, unique suburb in not many ways similar to the surrounding suburbs. It's not a cot. It's not a Muslim park. It's not even really a Fremantle. What is North Fremantle to you? It's a fantastic suburb, Trent. I've lived there now for 16 years. I think the best, one of the best ways you can look at it is probably like one of the trendier or 
cooler areas within Sydney or Melbourne. It's got a huge variety of property and workers' cottages through the waterfront, high-end property. So it's got a really nice vibe to it, really cool little area. Um, the neighbours and the community is really tight. I love living there. We've absolutely enjoyed it. I reckon it offers some of the best lifestyle in WA. Can you explain to us just with some visual uh, understanding, where is North Fremantle as we're driving down Stirling Highway? What features are we looking out for? And we go, yep, we're in North Fremantle. Where it's a tiny little suburb, yeah. so you almost blink and, you, and you'd go past it. But basically, once you hit the Dingo Flour Mill, you're in North Fremantle. So if you cross McCabe Street, where you're coming out of Mozzie Park and that sort of bit of daggy stuff there, looking at the beach, and then on your left is North Fremantle. There's a bit of industrial at that end. And then, as you said, you, you get down, basically you sort of do a bit of a left, and then you hit. if you hit the bridge and going over the Swan River, you've gone past it. That's it. Straight away. Yeah, so you've got the beautiful ocean on your right and North Fremantle. It's like a big cul-de-sac. You won't go in there unless you either live there or you've got someone to visit in there. Included in this would be those beautiful waterfront apartments you'd see if you were taking a ferry along the river. Yes, Next correct. to the bridge. Yep. You've also got a couple of those big apartment buildings out near Salt. Basically from the harbour through to the pine trees of Cottesloe. It's north from Anor. The Dingo Flower Mill is its biggest icon in terms of a, a you know a visual building from the water. Well, talking about Dingo, you've got a, quite a few... Very cool historical sites there. Yeah, I guess lot. they're heritage, right? A lot, yeah. Many in there, yep. It's a really hidden little gem in that, and that's where you know, some of the cottage-sized Muslim parks have either lost that or they're very spread out, where they're very condensed. In that sense, probably a lot more like Fremantle, but probably just on a much lower density in terms of the buildings themselves and height and etc. What I notice when I look at the maps and also drive down as close as I can to the coast there's a bit of awkward but vacant land. Like There's a lot of land still in North Fremantle. There's some old, what is it? You know, he sells different sands and mulches and limestone. Yes, What's yes. that you know, next to the train line yeah, there? Yeah. You'd almost think if they dropped the train line or slightly moved it, yeah. there would be so much land Massive. for super premium properties. Why has it been such a forgotten part of Perth in that way? Absolutely no idea, to be honest. There is some, obviously, they've got a bit of transport through there with Stirling Highway. You've got that down on the beach. And you've got the rail line, like Subi Centro or Subi Echo, they drop the rail line through there. My bet is that one day they will do it. It seems like the absolute obvious thing to do. Well, Dale Alcock's been going around for last year, banging on the wall, saying we should be dropping the Fremantle train line. Imagine mm. all the land that you could grab from that. Oh, it's massive, and, yeah. And I can't imagine a more pertinent area for that than North Fremantle. Very much so. I think one of the things that's probably holding it back a little bit is the whole port in the sense of, you know, do we move the port? There's still diesel tanks sitting down on the coast there. So there's an explosion zone around those. So nothing can be really developed around those at the moment. Leighton development is, is the closest you can get to it. So there's a few things that integrate with it and roads that they're trying to work around row eight and those sort of greater transport routes. So my gut feel is that once they fix those bigger projects, then they'll be using a lot of this land to probably offset some of those project costs. Do you think that Fremantle Port will be around in 20 years? It will always be around, but not in the same operation it is today. It'll be, in my opinion, uh, humble opinion, it'll be more of a, a tourism destination. It'll be the cruise ships coming in. It'll be houses and land, but they'll move the you know the day-to-day. -day. The operations will go. The operations will go down to the south.
There you go. Yeah. Wouldn't that mean a massive structural change? Massive. Especially to our infill targets. Huge. Essentially, all of Western Suburbs' infill targets, you wouldn't have to change anything along the NIMBY uh, Stirling Highway. Yeah. You put them all in North Fremantle, you'd be totally fine. There's your numbers. Yeah, well, it was probably about three or four years ago. It might have been a little bit longer ago. There was a plan, which you may have seen, about doing a canal development out on the North Port area, so the northern side of the port. That was put down fairly quickly, but you notice the government has now gone out there and built a lot of that land for containers at the moment. But yep. my guess is there was probably a little bit of an ulterior motive around that, that once the containers go with the port operations, then they will redevelop that into uh, housing. Okay, we've just spoken about the future. Let's have a second to think about the past. Can you give us a little bit of Lost Perth? What was North Fremantle before you and I were born? Well, a long time before you and I were born, but uh, it's one of the very, very early suburbs. You imagine they, they settled in Fremantle, it's the main port, and they started developing or expanding directly out of that. I mean, the, obviously the Perth city was obviously another centre, but they had to start farming, they had to start creating land for housing, and uh, North Fremantle was one of those areas, so... Uh, it was originally called Bruce Town by a colonial John Bruce who arrived in 1850. Jeez, it's lucky they changed that, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you live, Bruce Town? Oh, that's a, that's a ritzy suburb. Yeah, it sounds funny now. Yeah. There's even a little cafe called Bruce Town. It's pretty good too. <laughs> but uh, that, he arrived in 1850. Uh, it was made into its own council in uh, 1895. So it's only 3.5 square kilometres in size. It's a tiny little area. It's basically on the peninsula, as we talked about, between the ocean and the river. Mosman Park sells itself as the council between ocean and river. Uh, we're probably, I think, far more of that in reality. The football club is the most historical football club in WA. It's the oldest. It almost got wiped out in, during World War I uh, because of the amount of servicemen that, or players that went off and served in the war, and they ended up converting it. It did shut for 12 months, but then they converted into the Resis League, which it still operates today. So Where do they play? On uh, Gil Fraser Oval, so right on the side of the river. Great. Fantastic location to go play a game of yeah. footy or even go down and watch a game of footy. Tell you what, it'd be a little windy. Yeah, yeah, well, it can be, but it's uh, it's actually surprisingly protected there. That's the oldest club in WA. They've got their own Anzac Memorial service and service that they operate down in uh, Queen Victoria Street with a, the uh, little um, shopping strip in there is now, the cafe strip. That's an important part of the, the lifestyle in North Fremantle, isn't it? Very much so. It's uh, in, Even in the last probably three or four years, really become sort of the hipster well, you, got some, scene. you got some music scene, you got, yeah. you know, you got burgers, you got yeah. some good little cafes there. Yeah, some beautiful buildings. Yep. Uh, it's not too spread out, it's not too big. Actually, it's amazing the where the people come from to go to that little area. Okay. Um, so it's a great little spot. But it was a, a, basically an industrial offset of Fremantle. So it actually ran for a long, long time with the nickname of Pong Alley, as in it smelt. Um, there was a lot of industrial in there there was the um, Burford soap factory which was up on the cliffs in the bay the old soda companies there was the Wheaties factory there's the state engineering works which is now Minham Cove there was a North Bank which is between the two bridges and that's all been converted back in sort of around the 90s that was market gardens after that it became boatyards all where the moorings apartments are on Corkhill Street they were all boatyards Precision Marine was in there uh, America's Cup was basically run out of there, which is now the WA Water Police, and it's been redeveloped into housing and, and apartments. Tell you what, it's some premium land they've secured there, haven't Unbelievable. they? Unbelievable. Yeah, it's you just wonder how. phenomenal how yeah. long it's sat there not getting recognised or done. If we were clever enough when I was in school 30 years ago to buy property in there, I'd be a lot wealthier I am now. Yeah, it's so really been redeveloped, that whole area between the water rats and the bridge. 
That's right. It's yeah, been some fantastic apartment developments. Yeah, yep, yeah. So I still rate the moorings. It's probably twenty years old now. Maybe it's about told about twenty five years old now. I still rate that as one of the best developments in from apartments in WA. Yep, it's an amazing little area with a whole heap of history. You still get a really diverse mix of people in there, which is really interesting as well. Well, who's selling off you? No, is it a changing of the guard, or is it pretty much a recycling of a very similar type of person? A bit, a little bit of both. Probably a little bit more of the recycling now. Uh, but if you dial back fifteen years ago, we probably were seeing more of the change of the guard. Probably a little bit further than that, going about twenty. It started getting gentrified, and then saw a lot of the you know workers' cottages and and labouring a sector of the workforce sort of starting to move out. Still got a few of those old people in the area, which is great when you meet them and the stories they can tell oh, you and great, how much yeah. it's changed. But now it's a lot of people. It's a very very tightly held area. Not many people move out. A lot of people will move within, and uh, it is a real mixing pot there. You get a real mix of people coming from south of the river. That want to sort of head to the sub, the western suburbs, but still want to stay that sort of south Connected area. To yep. yep, and you get a lot of the um, western suburbs downsizers that get excellent value for money compared to something that's only a couple of k's away. So you got to have a bit of money to buy into this area at do. whatever price point, right? Yeah. Uh, so not only are these people most likely pretty successful, I'm guessing they're either downsizers or young professionals with a young family or just husband and wife enjoying the lifestyle. Pretty cool people. For whatever reason, it seems to attract a really nice personality of person it, it, because I think it's not all new or it's not all big and there's not a lot of front fences or it's gates. Quiet. It's, it's very quiet. quiet. Life, even though you're so close to the action. Is, yeah. that, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, very much so. And, you, and as I said, it's not many people go into the area so it's got a sort of a very much safe feel about it so people don't feel that they have to create a big boundary wall and shut themselves in it's um, got a very welcoming a lot of people growing you know veggies on the verges and they park on the wrong side of the road and it's still got that sort of bit of a country old villagey feel about it which is um, I think people really love when you're in the middle of the city basically let's talk about the right now Uh, we're in February 2020 market in general is starting to get a little bit fervent and which is a massive swing compared to even five months ago mm. right uh, how is your listing numbers compared to a year ago and in terms of your sales how are things year on year for you really since the election we've seen a steady but slight growth month by month both on terms of turnover and sales and also inquiry more so an absolute classic example was just saturday opened a property which um, is well located in North Bank that's between the bridges it's in the highest selling bracket price bracket at 1.2 to 1.3 and uh, I had a lot of initial inquiry I would have had at least 80 people go through that house in the space of 45 minutes so that is a real telltale of the volume of interest and inquiry out there in that that sort of uh, market well as I said Smart money moves first. Smart money starts in Cotton Fremantle. You're in between it. Yeah. So uh, you should be seeing really before anyone else uh, that, that pressure. Yeah, we are. Well, I think we are. It's hard when you're in the middle of it sometimes to really see outside. But we're certainly very fortunate to work in, an, in a, such a beautiful area. But we've seen some resilience in those markets and the people are... You know, I had a, a client probably 18 months ago, ex-real estate agent. You know, that's how he's made his money, by trading in property, not selling houses. And uh, he rang me and he said, you've got to find me two workers' cottages, up to a million dollars. I'll buy both. I want to renovate them. So that was out of the blue. can see the market shifting and, uh, you know, wants a couple of projects. He's now retired. So. Yeah. 
fantastic. Are you seeing any vendor discounting anymore or uh, and and or are the sellers realistic about their prices? Uh, sellers are, yeah. Look, I think like everyone, there's still you know a portion of, of sellers out there that will always be ahead of the market, but or five years behind. <laughs> yeah. As an as a real estate agent, it's always been important for me that you can sit down with someone and go through the sales. My vac- background's valuation. You don't need to be Einstein to work out roughly where you're sitting in that marketplace. So yes, we've got good buy demand at the moment, but buyers aren't stupid either. So you, you have to have the both you know, a buyer and a seller to come to the party at the end of the day to get a transaction. And the people in there are fairly astute. So I think you can sort of talk and make sense with them and they understand where it's all coming from. Uh, let's hit some price points now. How cheap can I get into North 304? If I'm a young, young person yep. looking to just make my mark, what can I get? Um, well, the as I said, North Mandel is very small, so you don't get a lot of choice in all price points. But uh, the cheapest is Harvest Heights. It's the only on Harvest Road, North Fremantle, which is a great address. It's the only sort of 60s flats apartment group. There's uh, 36 apartments in there. You can get in there at the moment for around give or take 200,000. And that's a studio flat, not a bedroom. Okay, so you're getting a lifestyle, you know, extremely yeah, affordable. That's cheaper than rent. With, with off the second, above the second level, that is phenomenal views into yeah. the harbour, ocean. Great. great little, you know, investment or for young people to start getting into the market. Okay, where are we going from there? Look, uh, apartments, houses, at the moment, there's very little available. There's one up in Cypress Lane, which is probably one of the premium addresses overlooking into Rocky Bay. You've got the southwesterly behind you. Cliff front address, beautiful address. You're probably looking around five million for that at the moment. Okay, any much in between two hundred grand and five mil for us? You've got a whole range, but there's not a lot available. Um, so, I mean, this is the thing you are naming to me particular streets and units that demonstrates that obviously we're in a small suburb. But off the top of your head, how many houses are actually available right now? Oh, right now, I think there's thirty three in yeah. total. That's apartments, That's whatever. Yeah. Okay. If I am just looking for that three by two townhouse or just something medium, what do, tell us what that looks like. What does that still real get... median purchase look like? Um, well, the median house is one point one five, so that's that's your sort of median. You, know, you can still get a really good, I think, you know, value for money townhouse in North Bank. There's a bit more choose from down there because of the age of the vintage of the development. About twenty years old now in North Bank. Yeah, you, know, you can get a really nice three by one, three by two townhouse between six hundred and and sort of eight fifty, depending on the quality. A big difference compared to five mil or one point one. My brother-in-law's bought two. You know, over the last ten years, it's been a hard ten years. Hasn't seen a lot of growth, but you know, he had a, a mate of his come over from the east coast just recently, and he was, just couldn't get his head around it. He just thought it was incredible value. Yeah. Let's talk subdivision. Can we do a residential subdivision or any? mum and dad level development in North Fremantle anymore? Very, very difficult to find them. Um, the, what would it be? The original blocks in there were all 320 to 420 square metres. <laughs> so to find a block that you can subdivide to start with is is very, very sense. difficult. It doesn't exist. Yeah, so like, there's one at the moment that's on the market. It just happens to be a beautiful, old, well, behind the Italian facade, beautiful old character home in underneath it that's sitting on two blocks the house sits on one block so that's about as close as you can get to some sort of subdivision is that um, going to sell for a big premium that'll be probably one five to what it's not my listing so i don't know what they're talking specifically but i'd say one five to maybe a little bit more there's yeah. probably a lot more you can do with your money as a mum and dad than uh, risk it 
in North Fremantle. I think the, the best, no data. But if you're looking to redevelop or you want to add value, I think it's buying the workers' cottage, doing you know a really modern, hip addition to it. Very in vogue, very Melbourne, very Sydney. People love them. I live in one. You can buy mine if you like. No, <laughs> I'm joking. And you can do you can do those and add some value and make some money there. And they're in they're a great. suburb where there's really no overcapitalization problem. Pretty much, yeah. I say that to a lot of buyers. I said. Guys, I appreciate there's always a level of affordability or what your budget is, but you know, without getting too carried away, you can almost say you can't overcapitalize in here. Okay. You just told me what the median house price is. Tell us again and then tell us what you would do, Nathan Hewitt, with that amount of money in North Fremantle. Uh, well, it's 1.15 today at the moment. Uh, just on the rental side, uh, the medium rental is 750 per week as compared to the Perth average at 270 per week. Look, if you're looking for a family home, again, to buy anything in four or five bedrooms is very hard, funnily enough. But, you know, I just think buying the best value for money, like, the, you know, the nicest house you can get for that sort of 1.2 give or take. What is that? Um, what does that look like? Can you give us a well, I've got twenty three for example, twenty three Bruce Street, which is on the market today. You know, that's probably about as good a value as you're going to get. It's got the access up to the bridge on it. Beside it, if you went a street over, you're probably one point four, one point five. Otherwise, I would go and buy. If it was me, I'd go and buy a Workers Cottage. Is exactly what I did sixteen years ago. I would buy you know the worst house in the best street. If you can find the worst house anymore. in yeah. the best street anymore, yeah. Yeah. and I would redevelop that into something really cool. I still get lots of people drive into the area, particularly out of the western suburbs, and they just go, "Oh, I didn't even realise this was here," and you know they're getting superb value for money compared to those suburbs. So there's not much to offer, but what is there is uh, absolutely fantastic. Thanks, man. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!